0: Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you can download by going to bayshorecc.org app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, great to see you guys. Hey, one other thing before I dive into my teacher today. Uh, Leon and Don Howard, Don, Don Howard were married 25 years yesterday. Would you guys stand up? Uh, happy anniversary! That's awesome. 25 years. That's incredible. What a great couple. They had a, a great little uh, reenactment of their marriage in, in the chapel yesterday. Karen and I came to. It. it was just so nice. So good to see everybody. We're in a, a series called uh, Mega Transitions, and what we like to do at Bayshore, we do a lot of different things, but one of the things we like to do is to like take a book of the Bible and just preach through the chapters and find the principles in that chapter. And if you're new to the faith and you're, maybe you're not even a, uh, a Christian yet and not a Christ follower, we love that you're here and just kind of learning about the Bible so you can discover it for yourself. And so that's part of what we do. We just, and it makes us talk about things that we would usually duck. So uh, it's really, really good. So um, we're in this series, Mega Transitions. the reason 1 uh, Samuel. I'm calling it mega transitions, is because it's a book of transitions. Uh, The book of uh, Judges, which precedes 1 Samuel, is a book about chaos, and it's about uh, the loose confederation of the tribes. There's no centralized government, and so a lot of chaos, a lot of ups and downs. And then you get into 1 Samuel and the transition from that model to a monarchy, a government where there's a king and there's a kingdom. So it's a time of transition, and you have two kings... Two kings in the, uh, in the book, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, and you have uh, King Saul, bad king, and then he loses his throne in King David, so the transition from a king, one king to another king, so it's lots of transitions. So this morning, uh, the book is named Samuel, and it's named Samuel after uh, one of the key figures in the book, and that is a guy by the name of Samuel that was sort of a prophet, priest, judge, he was sort of a transitional figure himself. And so uh, we find out about his birth today. And we don't find, you know, how much he weighed or, you know, so much where he was born and how long he was. We learn about the details surrounding his birth. And so uh, that's always interesting if you never talk to your parents about the details around your birth. And that's such an interesting story about the day you were born and all that. Uh, But this this is a... Kind of an interesting story. So we're going to read, just to get us started, we're going to read the first 20 verses, and it's, you know, we'll just zip through here. A uh, couple of the names are just really big and crazy, but we're going to do our best with them. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 1. There was a certain man uh, from Ramatham, a zoophyte don't know what that is exactly, but that's interesting. From the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. That's the, uh, the father of Samuel, Elkanah. Son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the son of... Uh, was an Ephraimite. Uh, he had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other was Panina, And Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from the town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons, the sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and other and all her sons and daughters. Uh, but Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Typical man response. Um, <laughs> verse nine. Uh, once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was, un, was not heard. Eli thought she was uh, drunk and said to her, How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief." Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked him, asked the Lord for him. So this is a great story. And the story... Uh, is about Samuel's birth. And you read the story. Whenever you, you know, us living in uh, 2019, when we read the Bible, we encounter a strange world. There's a strange world here. First thing that's strange about this story are the names, of course. It's not Bob and James and John. It's these really Hebrew names. But then the other thing in this story that's, that if you're paying attention and reading it, uh, is is that the man Elkanah, the father of uh, Samuel, he has two wives. He has two wives. So that's interesting. That's something you don't see a lot. You don't see walking down in the mall you don't see you know like a lot of times a man with both of his wives you don't see that a lot in our culture and uh, so in the Bible in the Old Testament you're gonna run into polygamy no so the Mormons took that the Mormon says hey you know it's in the Bible you know you can have a bunch of wives and so they did that for a long time and it was part of their doctrine and there's other cults that you know did that kind of thing multiple wives and that kind of thing and I think the learning channels got some shows with you know got guy with five wives or something you know that's that's going on but you know in the Bible you know this was a pretty frequent thing so what is that about that's like first question you know what is what is the polygamy uh, and the bigamy about in this story this guy's got two wives now i'm i am glad to announce today that bayshore we are not a perfect church but we've completely eliminated polygamy out of our church we have we haven't been good at everything but we have got that down and we're good at that so thank the lord there's one thing we can check off the list But in those days, you know, uh, first thing about this whole idea of polygamy is polygamy was something that evolved in the Old Testament after the creation story. It was never God's plan. When God created Adam... Uh, And, and, you know, it says that Adam was alone and it wasn't good and so God made him a help meet for him, an ally is what that word means, and made him an ally and, uh, you know, Adam woke up and there was Eve and he was gaga over Eve and that's how it all began. And then you read in, you get into the fourth chapter of Genesis and you got this guy named Lamech, he gets a couple wives, he gets more wives. And so what happens is there's a veering off of the pattern that God had established in the beginning. And so that's the pattern of the story. So although you see polygamy in the Old Testament, polygamy is never endorsed in the Old Testament. It's never endorsed in the Old Testament, it's just sort of a fact of what was happening. And sometimes it happened because uh, there was a war, there was all these wars and there was a shortage of men and there was no welfare system. And so sometimes, you know, uh, you know a guy would take on another wife to take care of her. And so that's that kind of thing. And then other times, probably this is the case in this story, uh, having a child in those days was a big deal. It was a sign, according to deuteronomy it was a sign of god 's blessing if you couldn 't have a child family couldn 't have a child, then it, you know the, the thinking was that you were under a curse from god and so it was just a bad thing and so this guy you know he wanted to have a, a child, so you know hannah couldn 't have a child, so he picked up you know Panina and Penina, what well, she was fertile myrtle she was having children you know and Hannah couldn 't have any children so that 's that's kind of the story there and, uh, and all of that. So uh, that's where polygamy comes from, and there it is. And the New Testament, you read the New Testament. Um, the New Testament says uh, an elder of the church should be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. And a deacon should be the husband of one wife. Why is that in there? Well, that's in there, of course, because you know the, old, the ancient world had this practice. And so that was something we're getting back to the main, main thing. Here's the principle behind the principle, though. Here's what, if you read about the people in the... Uh, In the Old Testament, that had multiple wives, it was a disaster every time. Not not some of the time, every time it was a disaster. There was fighting, there was crying, there was fussing, and uh, it was ugly every time. It was chaotic, and those houses that had multiple wives were not happy homes. Nobody sitting by the fireplace singing kumbaya. It was not happy. Things weren't good. Here's the principle: when we go, when we break God's pattern, we bring chaos into our lives. When we break God's pattern, we bring chaos into our lives. So, uh, you know, to me, I'm, you know, where I am in my life, I I want peace. I want simplicity, I want life to be good, I want to enjoy life, I want to have a good time, and I know the principle in Scripture, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's a quotation of Psalm 34, he who would love life, he would love life and see good days, let, his, let him keep his tongue from deceit and keep his life from evil, so if you want to have a good life and you want to have a, a peaceful life, then don't violate God's patterns. So that's the, that's the principle. So if you look at the Old Testament, polygamy, chaos, fighting, tears, yelling, stress, and when you get back to God's pattern, peace comes into your life. Very, very important principle. So whenever God says something... And you read the word, and we're like, we're like, we're you know, our, our old sin nature. I don't know about that. I want to do what I want to do, and all that. But listen, every time God sets something, sets a pattern in place, He sets a rule, He sets a principle in place. It's always for your benefit. It's always for my benefit. Our our grandkids are living with us right now. While while his mom and dad are building a house, they're living. We have the whole family with us, and so uh, my grandkids love to ride their bikes in the driveway. And uh, we live on a pretty busy road. It's a secondary road, Revel Road, but it's pretty busy. And uh, so we worry about them on the on in the driveway not getting on the road. So we put these cones up. So when they ride their bikes. They, we put the cones up at the end of the road and they know that they're not supposed to go beyond the cones. So they ride the cones, they turn around, and so that's how they do their, their, their ride their bikes. So God, in his word, sets cones up. He sets cones up. So whenever he says something, you know, you, you, if, you do, if you do it his way, if you do it the way God wants you to do it, it, it will eliminate chaos and stress in your life and make things better. So that's a good thing. So that's the first principle. Second principle in the story is this. Panina was mean. Panina, the other wife, was mean. Uh, and, and I say that because of what it says about her. Um, you know, sh- she, was, she, was, uh, she wasn't insensitive. She was mean. And it says that, you know, Hannah, think about Hannah. She's thinking, she's thinking, I can't have a... A baby, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God is angry at me. Maybe I've done something wrong. Have you ever thought that when things aren't good, going good in your life? Maybe God's punishing you. It's something you did back in college, and he's finally getting around to punishing you, and you're, you're thinking something's wrong. And so Hannah's thinking she's already guilt-ridden. She doesn't know why. She's frustrated. She wants to have a baby in the worst kind of way. Wants to have a baby. And she can't have a baby, and it's not working. And then Panina having babies like crazy... And she's making fun of Hannah. She's making fun of her. Hey, I, I guess another month passed, she didn't have no baby, huh? And it says she kept provoking her. If you read the text, she kept provoking her. Year after year when they would go to Shiloh to the temple or the tabernacle. And, to make, and, and every year was painfully aware that she didn't have a child. Every year when that, that came around. And, she would, uh, and, and Penina was just riding her, riding her, riding her, and making her making her miserable, and to the point that she cried. Now, here's the difference between insensitivity and being cruel. Have you ever said anything to somebody that hurt their feelings, and you realize you didn't do it on purpose, but you said it, you could see it on their face, it you hurt their feelings? Most of us have done that. You said that, and you could say, oh, no, I didn't mean it that way. That's insensitivity, and we've all been insensitive. We've hurt. How many have ever hurt anybody's feelings by accident? just by accident. Like uh, my little grandson uh, Nixon says, when he ever does something wrong, it was on accident. It was on accident. I didn't mean to do it. It was on accident. So it was on accident. So sometimes we hurt people's feelings on accident. You know, just like we didn't mean to do it. But then this is not what this is about. This is, this is cruelty. She knows, she knows she's hurting our feelings. And she's pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope until she is crying and she's upset and she's she's just, just desperate and she's just hurt deeply. And here's what I think the application is. I think, I think that we're getting. Meaner in our culture. I think we are mean to each other. I, I heard about this. Uh, this lady told me this week uh, that she first day of school. She was a teacher. She doesn't teach in our county. She teaches in another part of the state. She said the first day of school there was two mothers in the parking lot that had a physical fight over a parking spot. These moms on the first day of school are actually physically fighting in the parking lot. People are getting crazy. Have you noticed that? Are people getting crazy or what? We are just mean. We're fighting each other. You watch, you know, I am honestly, I used to be a, a, a news junkie. I don't hardly ever watch the news anymore. I try to read, you know, listen to some news in the morning, make sure I know what's going on. But I'll tell you what, I don't like it. It's so There's so much rancor, there's so much anger, and we're just, we're just mean to each other. It's not like we're not having dialogue, we're just mean to each other. And it's, it happens between races. It happens between socio classes. It happens between and uh, between the po- political parties. Just mean. We're just getting mean. We're like Panina. Panina just said mean things and hurt her feelings. Just push the envelope. Push the envelope. Push the envelope. So here's what, here's this. The basic principle in this story is, let's start being kind to each other. Let's start being nice to each other. Let's be nice to each other. Let's be kind to each other. You know, you can if you're having trouble in your marriage, hey, gosh, that happens to everybody. You know, everybody's got stuff. And, uh, you know, you, every time I get ready to preach a marriage, a sermon on marriage, Karen and I have a fight that week. It just happens that way. So, so I just like, I don't hardly ever preach on it anymore. I'm like, I can't handle that. So. Uh, but you know what? You can go see a therapist, and you should see a therapist. Therapists are a blessing from God. And go spend that $200 for an hour. You need to do that. It's a good thing. I believe in Christian therapists. I am all for it. But let me tell you something. It would help all of us if we just be be nice to each other a little bit. Just be nice. Just be kind. You know, you can say something in, in, in a nice way and get a long way. But you can say something innocent in a, in a wrong tone, and you have problems because we're not being nice. So we need to be nice to each other. So... This week, I was, I was, you know, I don't know if you know who Ellen DeGeneres is. Most of you know who, help me know who Ellen DeGeneres is. Now, let me just say some things about Ellen. I really, really like Ellen. And actually, I watch... Uh, I watch her shows, I watch her stand-up some, and I, I learn from her because I consider her to be one of the best communicators that I've ever heard. So I listen to her, I try to learn about how she crafts words, and, and uh, we have her and I have a lot in common. We're both trying to be funny. I want to be funny and be a humorous in my communication, and she wants to do that as well. I think she's better at it than I am, but anyhow, she's, uh, I, I just think, it's, and the other thing that we have in common is she's a Green Bay Packer fan. She's a Green Bay Packer fan. So first thing I want to say about this is that, first of all, Ellen and I, we don't agree on values about things. There are certain things we don't agree on, and I don't endorse her lifestyle or anything like that, but I like her. And let me tell you something. You can like somebody that you don't agree with. You can like somebody you don't agree with. Say it with me. You can like somebody you don't agree with. Now, we've got to the point that if you don't think like I think, if you don't believe like I believe, I don't like you and I'm going to be mean to you. And that's the, that's the disease in America right now. We've got to learn. We've got to learn to like and love people that believe different than we do. We just need to be, you know what America needs? And just just it. Here's the deal. We need civility. Civility needs to come back to our country. We're not civil with each other anymore. We need to do that. So anyhow. Ellen went to the Green Bay Packers game last week. They were playing the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And so she was down in Dallas uh, with her partner. She was down there watching the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, and she got in trouble. And by the way, the Packers won. I'm a Packers fan. They won 34 to 31 to something. And uh, they were, had 31 to 3 at one point And then Dallas started coming back. And we, we got on our knees and we prayed. And we got, we got it through. But anyhow... But Ellen got in trouble for being there at the game, and I'm gonna show her a clip, and me showing this clip doesn't mean that I endorse her lifestyle, but I'm endorsing her attitude, and I like her attitude. And here's, here's the clip, and then we'll talk about what I took away from the clip after we watch it.
1: Weekend, I know it's Tuesday. Sometimes I like to ruminate on things all day Monday so that on Tuesday you, you hear about it. Um, so uh, this weekend I went to Dallas uh, for the Cowboys game, and uh, yeah, so uh, thanks. And um, it may not seem like a big deal for a celebrity to attend a football game, but uh, I never leave my house. So it is a big deal. I I go through the drive through at Wendy's, so I only have to see one person. I'm that kind of person. So there were 100,000 people in this stadium. Beautiful stadium, by the way, that Dallas has. Um, So Portia and I were invited by Charlotte Jones. She's the daughter of Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, we went because we wanted to keep up with the Joneses. So anyway, so we get to sit in this very fancy suite because he owns the the whole place. So his suite is is fancy. And he's got fancy friends. And I don't mean fancy like real housewife fancy. I mean like fancy. Look, this is I took a video of who, who was next to me. That was Portia, and that was Charlotte Jones uh, Portia was talking to, and George W. Bush. And then in front of us was the tallest man in the world. So I've got to say, uh, when we were invited, uh, I, was, you know, I was aware that it, I was going to be surrounded with people from very different views and beliefs. And I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers. And uh, get this, everybody in the Cowboys suite was rooting for the Cowboys. And so I had to hide my cheese hat in Porsche's purse. And um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like the Cowboys. I love the Cowboys. I love all the village people, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> But but Aaron Rodgers is a friend of mine. He's the quarterback for the Packers, and so I'm sitting in the in the Cowboys suite, the owner of the Cowboys, and secretly cheering every time the Packers scored, or every time another whistleblower came forward, and uh, <laughs> the referees, you guys, the referees. Um, but during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together, and uh, so. People were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were mad. And they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, exactly the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's OK that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should. Tweeze more, and I, I have. But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Um, I, I even people who are already playing Christmas music. I mean seriously. There's no excuse for that, but I'm kind to them. Anyway, I want to thank Jerry Jones, Charlotte Jones, for hosting us, and thanks President Bush and Laura for a Sunday afternoon that was so fun. By the way, you owe me $6 for the nachos.
0: All right. I thought the takeaway for me was when she said, um, when I say, and I guess she ends her show this way. Does she end her show this way, I believe? Be nice to people. She says, when I say be nice to people, she said, I don't mean just people that are believing just like you believe. So I think that's an incredible principle. So uh, I think that's a principle that we see in the story. The story shows us we see this woman that's kind of cruel and mean, Penina, who's just is cruel and mean. And so let's just, let's just say, just lift your hands for a moment, a little commercial break here. Lift your hands and say, Lord, help me to be kind to people that are different than me. So that's a great, great principle. There are lots of scriptures I could quote about kindness. And let me just take a moment to read some scriptures that I think are, are pertinent here. The first one I thought of was 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. Where there is not kindness, there is not love. Um, Ephesians 4, 2. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It says, this is one of my favorite verses. I kind of tuck this under my head, uh, in my, under my hat when I'm, when I'm uh, reading Proverbs. This proverb always speaks to me. A kind man benefits himself. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. One of the ways to enhance your life and to make your life better is to be kind to people, just to be kind. The word kind, one of the roots in the, in the Greek word of kind is to be useful, just be useful and encouraging. So that's a very, very good thing. So lots of scriptures about kindness. So that's the principle uh, that I see. Panina was mean, and she wasn't nice, and she was uh, just giving, uh, giving Hannah a hard time. And it wasn't insensitivity. It was purposeful meanness. And uh, we want to eliminate that out of our life, and we want to be uh, positive people. So the second thing in the story that I see is about Hannah, Hannah herself. Hannah couldn't have a child. She couldn't have a baby. And so she was, uh, she was very, very uh, fixated on that part of her life. Now, if you look at the story, you can see uh, Hannah's obsessed with the fact that she can't have a child. And I thought about the things that we get obsessed on that aren't right in our life. There are certain things that, you know, that, that we wish were different. Let me ask you a question. Here's a poll right now. If I ask you a question... If you could change something in your life, you wish were different in your life. Just raise your hand right now. There's most of there's something you'd like to fix in your life. A lot of us have that. You know, there's like our life is good, but then you got this thing that just bothers you. You wish was right, and you want it. You want it to. You want that to change. And so your your, your mind goes exclusively to this part of your life that's not right that you don't like. Now here's what uh, here's what here's what uh, Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says the, 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 uh, the, uh, the mountaintop valley idea is a myth. And what I mean by that is we say to ourselves, well, I'm on, the, I'm on the mountaintop right now, everything's going good. Or I'm in the valley, everything's going bad. We have that. Now, Rick Warren says that that is a myth. He said things are never all good and things are never all bad. There are always... A mixture of those two things. Sometimes there's something that's really good that's going on. There's a multiple things that are going good. And there's things that, uh, that, aren't, you know, that aren't so good and all that. But in the story of Hannah, if you read the story carefully, she couldn't have a baby, but her husband adored her. Her husband adored her. He gave her double uh, of the sacrificial, sacrificial meat. Uh, he loved her. He, he, just, he loved her dearly. And so she's not even thinking about the fact that she's got somebody that deeply, deeply loves her. She's fixated on this one thing that's not right. Now, here's what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says that, that life is like two rails that run side by side like a railroad track. And he said that in your life, you always have some things that are good and some things that are bad going on all the time. And I found that to be true. I found that to be true. There's something, some things that are good and some things that are bad. And we have a tendency to kind of lock in on that which isn't good and fixate on that. And it ruins our life and it ruins our week. And we got this one thing we can't get fixed. We can't fix this one thing. This is one plate that keeps getting off the stylus. We can't keep it spinning. There's one thing It's not right. So what I did, I thought to myself, okay, I want to see how many good things are happening in my life right now. So I took a legal pad. You remember legal pads? Anybody remember legal pads? I took a legal pad, and I took a pen, and I was going to give myself four or five minutes to write down everything good I could think about going on in my life right now. So I sat there, got the legal pad out, and as I got the legal pad out, I said, ready, set, go. I started writing. In less than four minutes, I came up with 50 good things that are happening in my life right now. 50 good things just like that. One of them was a bed. We just got a new bed. I've been having trouble with my back. I mean, I don't know what the world it is. I, I mean, I get up in the morning, couldn't hardly put my socks on. And so we had this bed that's like, it's like 12 years old. And Karen says when she looks over there at night, she can't even see me. I'm down in this little concave. She's my head sticking up. So I mean, I said, baby, we got to get a new bed. And you, have you seen how much beds cost? They are crazy expensive. You have got to be kidding. But anyhow, we bought this bed and it's got one of those little ups and down things, you know, and we made a mistake. We didn't get, Where you could both go up and down. We got where we just won. So I'm trying to sleep. Karen's got me up like this, you know, and and then anyhow. But this bed, I got this bed and I'm like, I'm like healed. I mean, the next day, I slept in that bed one night, jumped out like, you know, the guy at the gate, beautiful. I'm walking and praising God. So I wrote that down. I wrote all this stuff down and all this stuff. And it was like just like four minutes, 50 things. And I thought about the things that I don't like in my life right now, things that I'm upset about. You know how many there were? There were three things, three things that I wish were different. Three things compared to 50 substantive good things that are going on in my life right now. So listen, we have to make a choice. We can be hand up to be obsessed obsessed about that which is not like we wish it were. Or we can say, I'm making a choice to think about the good things that are going on in my life. And it says in Philippians chapter 4, 8, whatever is good, whatever is excellent, whatever is admirable, whatever is honorable, think on these things. So I'm just going to take that clipboard, that that, uh, legal pad home. And this week, I'm going to be reading that, thinking about adding on to that list. So I got a call this week from one of my best friends in college. He called... And uh, we're like best friends. We've hunted together. We went through school together. Our wives were pregnant at the same time together. We're best friends. And um, he told me, I've got uh, three guys that I'm really, really close to. Um, and so this, this guy called me, he said, Hey, I want you to know. I said, You're one of my best friends. He said, uh, I got this thing going on, with, uh, I got a tumor and it's cancerous. And the tumor is, uh, it's not in my kidneys, but it's sort of around my kidneys and it's near my small intestines. And the doctor, he's 99% sure that it's cancer and he said, It's just really, you know, it, I just want you to know, I want you to be praying. I know, I want, I know you're going to pray for me, so I want you to know. Uh, first one to know, So besides my wife, you know, so he told me. And uh, then he said, then he, then he switched gears. He said, You know what's so cool about this? He said, I had high blood pressure, and because of how high blood pressure, they, the doctor sent me to the hospital. They ran some tests, and, and then something else, I had this pain in my back. And he said, They did an MRI, and they found it. And it's said, Just amazing how God was working in that whole process to kind of get down to this narrow focus to find this, this cancerous tumor and, and said all about that. Then he said, he said, and I'm going on an elk hunting trip. I'm going to New Mexico, I'm leaving, actually he left Thursday, I'm going to New Mexico and I'm going to go elk hunting. And here's the, here's the interesting things about the conversation. We talked longer about the elk hunting trip than we did about his cancer. And his cancer is a big deal, for sure. But he was all like, so he, he had this capacity. I just learned from that conversation. He had this capacity to process all of it together. He was able to see the good things that are happening and all that as well. And listen, how many of life is hard sometimes? If it's really hard, can you say a big amen? It's hard sometimes. But listen, this principle, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how painful it is, and this thing that Hannah was going through was so painful, but she was blind. To something very close to her, that was very, very good, and all that. So this week I was, I was having dinner with my dad. I take him out to dinner on Tuesday nights, and I took my dad out to dinner, and we're sitting in his favorite restaurant, and we're having having dinner, and uh, this waitress came, and she's telling us all about you know, her her life and she starts open up and she said that, she said she's raising her grandchild. He has a little grand, two-year-old, two, three, two, about three-year-old grandson that she's raising and the parents aren't involved and she's raising, she's working as a, as a waitress and she said he has cerebral palsy and she showed me a video. She said, I want to see that, she showed me a video of him trying to walk and then she said, tomorrow morning I'm having cataract surgery and she told me all about her life and there was so many painful things in her life and I just, I just... You know, I just took her hand and I said, you know, my dad was there, he's a pastor, I'm a pastor. I took her hand and I we just prayed right in the restaurant in front of her. I just prayed for the Lord to help her. And you know that's something the Lord's really recently been doing to me, just tapping me on the shoulder, look for ministry opportunities just to pray for people. So I'm praying for her. and evidently she was Catholic after we got in prayer, she did this little cross thing, so I didn't know how to do it, but I tried, you know, <laughs> as well. But you know, life is hard. Life is hard. I'm not making little I'm not little belittling the hardness of your life. Let me tell you something, you are not unique. I am not unique. Everybody's life has good and bad. Say it with me, everybody's life has good and bad. We could have a contest and stand up with a mic and say, you think that's bad? Remember the Jaws movie, you remember the Jaws movie when they're in, in the, I can't remember the name of the ship uh, the little they are in, they're trying to get Jaws in there, and they're all like half lit. And they're drunk, and they're and they're in the little uh, in the table there in the kitchen, and they're showing each other their scars. You remember that scene? I love that scene. You know, and they uh, they pull up their you know their their scars, and the, uh, the, the 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 old guy you know he'd been in all kinds of shark attacks and all that, and then Chief Brody you know he just had a little cut there and he didn't want to show anybody. But say this with me: Everybody has scars. Everybody has pain. And the key to this is. That's why the Bible is so real. The Bible shows us these these painful stories that people walk through. And then you see these principles. And so if I were to talk to Hannah, I would say, Hannah, we're just going to pray. We don't know what God's up to in this situation. But I know you've got an Elkanah who loves you. And there's always something positive. There's always an elk hunt in your life. There's always an elk hunt in your life. My friend talked about that. So last principle in the story is Hannah, uh, she has a baby at the end of the story. She couldn't have a baby, and Panina was mean, and that's the principle we learned. And she had Elkna who loved her, but then uh, she finally had a baby. And, and what you see in the story is she goes to the tabernacle and she's praying, and she's praying so fervently, and I think there's times in our life where we pray fervently. Well, we don't just say, "Hey, Lord, bless me." Uh, Sometimes you get on your face and you—you, I mean, you're seeking God and you're praying fervently. You got something so big, and I, you know, one of the things I do here at our church, right here, you know, in this auditorium, I come in here a couple times a week, two or three times a week. I walk in here and I just pray an hour and I pray fervently for the Lord to help us, to help you, and to minister to you. And so praying. Sometimes you just a little prayer is not going to get it. You need to get before the Lord and pray. And uh, that was my my upbringing. You know, that's how our church prayed. Boy, you had something going on. And you just pray. So she's praying fervently, and, and the priest, Eli, thinks she's drunk. She's just so shaken. She's so moving. She's so passionate. And he says, whatever you're praying about, the Lord's going to do it for you. And she had a baby. And uh, it says when Eli said, whatever you're praying for is going to happen, her countenance changed. She believed the word. She believed what the Lord said to her and she left and she got something to eat. And she went home and her and Elkna made out and they had a baby. So there you go. So, uh, but here's the principle, the principle is barrenness today doesn't mean barrenness tomorrow, barrenness in the present doesn't mean barrenness in the future. If I'm struggling with something now, it doesn't mean that that is always going to be the case for me. She struggled, she was barren, but her story changed. And sometimes we lose hope. First service, I met a guy that came here. He said, I've lost everything. I lost my job. I lost my wife. I've lost my family. And, uh, you know, I saw him sitting by himself. And I went to talk to him. And I and, uh, got to talk to him, minister to him. And, and uh, he just came with hopelessness. And, and so he thinks, he th- he, I know what he was thinking. He was thinking, I've messed my life up so bad. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. This is what it's always going to be. But barrenness in the present doesn't mean barrenness in the future. Say it with me. Barrenness in the present doesn't mean barrenness in the future. Maybe your marriage is struggling now. Karen and I, we first got married. We, our marriage was struggling. Boy, we were, I couldn't get it right. We were struggling. She couldn't get me right. We were struggling. But now we have just wonderful relationship. Barrenness in the present doesn't mean barrenness in the future. Struggling with an addiction. Oh man, I can't quit. Can't quit. Can't quit. Down again. Down again. I'm never going to whip this. I'm never going to overcome this. Barrenness in the present doesn't mean barrenness in the future. Your circumstances can change. God can do something. Don't give up because God's not done with you yet. Now, this girl, we used to have this modern-day Hannah in our church, this gal that wanted to have a baby. And I, now I want to just say this. I believe that God has a different plan for everybody. Some people, you know, God has, has not in their... Providentially, God doesn't plan for them to have children. Other people, that they do and all that. But there's a lot of struggling in the Bible about people trying to have kids. And this lady, this guy in our church, her name was Kate. She, uh, she couldn't have a baby. She was struggling. And, and every time another lady in our church would have a baby, it would just be like a sword in her heart. She wanted a baby. I'd never seen a woman that wanted to be a mom so bad. And so she, she would come up to me and she said, Pastor Danny, why can't I have a baby? And I would say, and this is what I believe, and this is what I believe about life. I said, I would, I would say, Kate, I just believe God's sovereign over your life. God knows what he's doing. God is sovereign over your life. And she didn't like that. Didn't like that answer. I said, What I believe about me, things don't always go the way I want. I just believe God's sovereign. It says in the story, the Lord closed her womb. So it shows me God's sovereignty in that part of her life. So she'd come up. This went on for years, a couple years. She'd come up and she had a couple of miscarriages. So that was, was worse. And then she'd come up and she'd just, Why did this happen? Why did this happen? I said, I don't know, Kate. I just don't know. I said, God's sovereign. So, uh, She, uh, Mother's Day was just awful when I would do Mother's Day and she'd be sitting out there, her and her husband, Brent. Oh my gosh. It was just, I couldn't even look at her. She was in pain. I don't know why she came. She was in pain, just in so much pain. So after a while, she called, called Karen and I, and she said, hey, we want, Brent and I want to have you over for dinner. And I was excited about that because her husband was a fisherman. He had a fishing boat and he got lobster and and all kinds of uh, flounder and shrimp. So we were like, let's pray about it. Yeah, we're coming. We're coming here. Really. <laughs> we're definitely coming. We're feeling God on this one. We're going to be at this one. We are, we'll clear our schedule. We're going to be there. So anyhow, we went. And so usually when I am invited out to dinner as a pastor, the senior pastor, you know, this one lady, she used to dress up, and her family had the whole family dress up. Made me a nervous wreck. They would dress up, and, and it was like, oh, my gosh, and she had, uh, Anyhow, so, um, but I went, and usually they want me to pray. You know, Pastor Danny, would you, would you bless the food? And that's sort of a pastoral thing. You learn that Baba Bible college. You got a little thing to read, you know. So, and she didn't do this. I said I, I said, I don't want you to pray. I want to pray. So we took hands, and she said, Lord, thank you for this lobster. Thank you for this flounder. Thank you for these shrimp. Thank you for this little baby that's inside of me. I looked up. I said, Kate, you're pregnant. She said, I am pregnant. She was grinning from ear to ear. She jumped up and down. She hugged Karen. She hugged me. and I was like worrying about the lobster. But anyhow, uh, it was incredible. And she had a little boy. And here's a picture. And then she had a little girl. And this is Kate and Brent. And... They, I'm telling you, I, this. She just loves being a mom. Just incredible. And whenever I go to Rehoboth to preach, she attends the Rehoboth campus. Her and Brent. And she sees me, Pastor Danny, and she runs down the hall and she hugs me. And I'll never forget that dinner and that prayer. Lord, thank you for the baby that's inside of me. Hey, listen, that's not just applicable to having babies. It's applicable to where you're unfruitful, and where you've been struggling. And where you've been kind of like checkmated. God is saying through this story, barren today doesn't mean barren tomorrow. So God's got some things for you. He's got some things for you. That's the word for you today. God has still got some things for you. Say this with me. The story, the story is not over. Lift your hands to the Lord, and let's let the Holy Spirit minister hope to our hearts. The story's not over. Barren today doesn't mean barren tomorrow. We ask you, Lord, to bless us. We've all been through some pain. We all have got our scars. We've all got our stories that would capture our total attention. But We pray that this week our minds will be renewed by your word. Our minds will be renewed by Jesus, and that we'll have a focus on you like we've never had before. We thank you for the good future The good future that your spirit is putting in the hearts of everyone that's here today. There's a good future. There's a good future ahead. There's good things ahead. We receive it, Lord, as your people. We bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen.